All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. The homicide rate in the United States has surged over 30% last year, the largest year-over-year -year increase in six decades according to the FBI. And we're going to be discussing today why this has happened here on Making the Argument where we make the arguments to defend a free society. All right, well for many people I'm sure it doesn't come as a, an enormous shock that based off of some of the attitudes, behaviors, some of the philosophies that we've seen pushed over the last couple of years, has potentially created an incentive for crime. And some of this is policy-driven, uh, some of this is just kind of the general attitude and sentiment that we see in society. But before we get to any of that, I, I wanna share something. Because if you haven't noticed, I got, my, I got a new coffee mug. This is a uh, detective badge, LAPD coffee mug. This was given to me by my father, who was a uh, police officer and a homicide detective in LA. It was also uh, one of his former partners, Robbie, gave me another one as well. Um, and before we get into any of this, because it's really easy to break this all down into nothing more than a policy discussion or, or a larger political discussion, and, and I think something is missing um, that, that deserves to be talked about. So obviously, I grew up in a law enforcement family. And a lot of people look at that and say, okay, well, you know, that automatically gives you a bias. And, and you know, maybe it does. I'm willing to admit that I saw it from a particular perspective. Um, but I would also say that anybody that knows me knows that within the General Assembly, I've carried criminal justice reform bills, whether it was civil asset forfeiture, whether it was expungement for, uh, you know, certain criminal activities that didn't, you know, have a victim related to it, right? There was things like that that I've always been willing to do. Uh, but I've also drawn a line at a lot of the policies that I've seen lately, and I think those policies have been very damaging and have contributed to a lot of what we're gonna talk about today. But I wanna talk about a different aspect of this. And it's the general sentiment that I've seen directed toward the police in general. I'm not talking about bad cops. I fully acknowledge that there are, there are bad cops out there, there's corrupt cops out there. Um, one of the worst possible things you can do is be a corrupt cop because not only are you breaking the law, which is bad enough already, but you're also betraying a sacred trust that you have with the people you're supposed to be serving. So there's, there's actually a, a higher level uh, of what I consider to be just almost evil about betraying that oath. But the vast majority of police officers, uh, detectives, sheriff's deputies that I ran into, I, I didn't just know them from being in the state legislature or from, from showing up in an, an event and speaking to them. I grew up around him, and I will never forget my father having to retire early at 39 because he had a massive stroke, and he mostly recovered from it, 
but he didn't recover enough to where he could stay on the job, and he loved, he loved that job. And we're sitting there at his retirement, and it was the first time anybody could remember the family of a victim showing up in order to honor my dad. And it was one of the last cases he worked, multiple homicide. He was a gang member that had killed his girlfriend and then killed two of his three children. And as they're describing in court what is going on, you need to understand he didn't just kill his girlfriend and then go in and kill two of his little girls. He went in there and he stabbed him repeatedly. And then he picked up his youngest child and he started to leave with her. And he heard one of his daughters crying for him. And then he went back in there and repeatedly stabbed her until she died. So this was the scene that my father pulls up to. This is what he's responsible for investigating. This is what he's responsible for finding some semblance of justice with the understanding he cannot make it better. But as he used to explain it, he goes, Nick, I speak for the dead. And they deserve to have their story told. They deserve justice and their family deserves justice. And that case haunted my father. And they found him. And they got a conviction. And he got life in jail. And that's why the family showed up in order to honor my father. And they gave him a ring with the birthstone for each one of their family members that was murdered by this man. Now, here's the question I have. For the people that so easily sit back at a safe distance and feel themselves perfectly qualified to judge the actions of people that are constantly having to go into that environment in order to try to help someone not only put back the pieces together from the victim's perspective, but to try to make all of us safer by protecting us from the sort of people that would engage in that sort of brutality, that sort of unmitigated brutality. I think there's a lot of people that have bought in to this idea that evil is just a construct. I was never a police officer, but I did go to war, and I can tell you right now, you don't fully appreciate evil when you see it. You fully appreciate evil when it looks back at you. And the men and women that we send to go deal with that sort of evil so the rest of us don't have to do deserve some credit for it. And so before we talk about anything else, I want to make something really clear about this. Yeah, I do have a bias. Because I remember being a small boy waking up in the middle of the night because I heard my father getting up to leave the house, to go to something like this, not sure if I'd see him again. So anybody engaging in that sort of generalized denigration of the police, yeah, I got a problem with that. So let's talk about what some of these policies and what I would say some of these philosophies have led to. Because there's a genuine cost to it. And I shared with you one story that I had some intimate knowledge with 
but there are a lot more out there. And here's the sad part. The number of stories like that have been drastically increasing over the last couple of years. So let's look at this. 12 major cities broke all-time homicide records this year. Portland, Oregon, Tucson, Arizona, Albuquerque, New Mexico, St. Paul, Minnesota, Austin, Texas, Louisville, Kentucky, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Columbus, Ohio, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, Toledo, Ohio, Rochester, New York, Philadelphia, PA, et cetera. And, and we could go on. Those are 12, but we could go on. And what's fascinating is when you look at this and you say, oh my gosh, they broke an all-time homicide record. What year was the previous record? Almost half of these cities, their previous all-time homicide record was last year, right? It was, it was the year before the numbers that we're reading now. And yet, we're still being told by a lot of the politicians, many of them who govern these cities, and I'll give you one guess what political party is the mayor, what political party has been in control of these cities when all this has been going on. They're telling us that, ah, you know, we're blowing this out of proportion. Or it's racist to bring it up. Because that always seems to be the argument, right? If we bring up facts and statistics showing that something bad is taking place, the response is, well, you're a racist if you point certain things out. You want to know what I think is racist? When you point out that so many murders have taken place, and then you don't take into account the victims of those murders. But let's go on. It doesn't stop there. Homicides are up in Chicago even over last year. Cook County has now crossed over the 1,000 homicide mark for this year. The last time the homicide rate was this high was in 1994. All right, now let's try to put this in perspective. So Cook County, one county in America, Cook County, which has Chicago. So it's a big county, heavy population, run by the, run by the very Democrats that are claiming that they're the ones that have the solutions in order to create a more peaceful society. And in Chicago and, and in Cook County, they got all the gun regulations they want. They, they've got all of the, the different, what they call criminal justice reform legislation, which I don't think really is, but that's what they call it. They've got that. They, they've got a DA that's willing to give it to them. They've got a police force that is constantly under the scrutiny of left-wing politicians and media apparatus. So they've got everything they want. A thousand homicides in one year, right? And counting. Let me put that in perspective for you. We didn't have a thousand U.S. combat-related deaths in Afghanistan for the first eight years we were over there. You heard that correctly. More homicides in Cook County with all the Democratic policies that they could want, all of the gun regulations they want, They've had more homicides there than we had combat-related U.S. deaths in Afghanistan for the first eight years we were over there. What about Philadelphia? You gotta love DA Larry Krasner. He pretty much just denies that a city has a crime problem, despite the fact that homicides in Philly are now at an all-time high. By the way, Larry Krasner got into office as the DA because George Soros came in and dumped hundreds of thousands of dollars into the Democratic primary to make sure that he won. And by the way, Philadelphia was not the only place he did that. He also did that in Virginia. What were some of the places he did it? Fairfax County, Loudoun County. But let's, let's look at Fairfax because Democrat State Senator Scott Surville came on and he did a tweet recently where he said, you know, the Fairfax County Police has just said that, and I'm, I'm gonna quote for you, that the crime rate now is down by slightly more than 12%. 
And Scott Sorville said, look, we passed all this legislation. We were all told it was going to be the end of the world. And look, crime is down by 12%. But here's what Scott didn't do. He didn't actually read the article that he linked to in his tweet. Because if he had, he also would have seen that homicides in Fairfax County were up by 46%. And this gets into one of the problems that we have with the way that some of these crime statistics are actually counted. Right? And this is important for you to understand because you're going to see this. You're going to see people coming up, cherry-picking statistics, and then saying, oh, well, look, see, it's not that bad. Or look, it's even gotten better. Until you start to realize that some of the crimes have gone away because they're no longer prosecuted. Other crimes might go down because of varying circumstances and conditions. Like, for instance, if they if they um, lower the, uh, or if they raise the, the felony threshold for theft, where it used to be $1,000 and now it's 1500 or 2000 well, that's not going to get counted the same way. And you could look at something that if you would have counted last year's statistics, your crime might have gone up or gotten worse, but because they've changed the law, you can have an equal number or a higher number of incidences, and it's not counted the same way. So, yeah, if you reduced your, your overall numbers of jaywalking, but your murder rate has gone up significantly, something tells me most people are not going to look at that as a grand accomplishment of your criminal justice reform package. And yet, the clever manipulation of statistics allows them to get away with doing things like this. But it doesn't stop there. Let's go ahead and look at what Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot blamed when, when, she, was, when she was confronted with the problem with... Um, People doing smash and grabs. They're going into these retail shops. You've seen this all over California. You've seen it in Philadelphia. You've seen it in a lot of cities where they, they go in there. Uh, you've seen it in Chicago where they go in there. They smash the store open. They grab a bunch of Louis Vuitton bags. And, and now they're trying to do it like, in, in like gang style tactics. So you got like you know, 15, 20, 30 people doing it all at once. And so it's very, very difficult for the store to be able to stop them, the place to be able to stop them. And so a lot of retailers have been going now to these local city governments and whatnot and asking for help with this. Here's what Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot said. She goes, I'm disappointed that they are not doing more to take safety and make it a priority. For example, we still have retailers that won't institute plans like having security officers in their stores, making sure that they've got cameras that are actually operational and locking up their merchandise at night. So I'm old enough to remember that when the victim of a crime came forward and said, oh my gosh, this crime happened to me, it was a bad thing. They didn't go back and say, well, now we're going to blame the victim because you didn't do enough to prevent the crime from taking place. But apparently, it's perfectly fine now if Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot decides that the, the real problem here is not the fact that they've hamstrung the police or they've reduced the overall police presence or they've created an environment where people don't want to be police officers because they're constantly denigrated by the people that are supposed to have their back unless they've done something wrong. And then this happens, and her solution is, well, you retailers, you should be spending more. You should be doing more to police your own environment. You know, again, this blows my mind because these are the same people that get so upset when somebody takes, not the law into their own hands, but when they just take the responsibility for their security into their own hands. When they actually provide for security for somebody that, I don't know, might own a business that is in the path of a riot. Then the Democrats come up and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe you had a firearm. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you were there to protect your property. <laughs> Mayor Lori Lightfoot said that's what they should be doing. Now, 
before we give some of these retailers too much of a pass on this, I, I want to read something off for you. The CEOs of Target, Dick's Sporting Goods, Best Buy, Nordstrom, CVS, and a couple others have asked Congress for help amid recent crime surges across the country, particularly in cities across California. Now, why is this happening in California? Well, because in a lot of cases, California has passed policies. And by the way, they were trying to do a lot of this in Virginia. Some of it they passed, some of it they didn't. Which essentially said that if you were engaging in theft, uh, they raised the felony threshold to the point where you could get away with stealing you know, well over $1,000 worth of merchandise and it wouldn't even be a felony. Well, if it wasn't a felony charge, if it was just a misdemeanor, you literally got released right? In, until your, your court date or whatnot. But you were almost, there was almost a guarantee that you weren't going to do jail time um, for, for stealing things. So when you create an environment where you basically tell people that are going to go steal that, hey, you're not really going to be punished for this, that creates a perverse incentive. That's, that's what we call that in policymaking. It creates a perverse incentive. Now, here's a line from their letter to Congress. They said, retail establishments of all kinds have seen a significant uptick in organized crime in communities across the nation. Criminals are capitalizing on the anonymity of the internet and the failure of certain marketplaces to verify their sellers. This trend has made retail business a target for increasing theft. Now, you may listen to that and you think, hmm, that's interesting. I'm going to tell you why this is absolute, total garbage and why it makes someone like me, who is a big property rights guy and who is a big free market guy and who is typically very sympathetic to stores getting robbed, it, it makes someone like me look at these guys and want to be like, you know what? Karma is a real fill in the blank. Because as I look at some of these statements, as I look at some of the campaign contributions, as I look at some of the political activity that some of these retailers engaged in, whether it was CVS or Target or Best Buy or Dick's Sporting Goods. I look at these people and they created, or at least they helped create and foster the very woke mob, which is currently destroying them. And now is their response to come back and say, you know what, we were wrong. We might've overstepped here. You know, we, 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 wanted, to, we wanted to help with better policing, but we never anticipated that this was going to lead to defunding the police or discouraging people from becoming police officers or incentivizing criminal activity, which would then come back to bite us in the ass. No, 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 they didn't do that. Their solution, if you read this carefully, criminals are capitalizing on the anonymity of the internet and the failure of certain marketplaces to verify their sellers. This trend has made retail businesses a target for increasing theft. You want to know what has made your businesses, you know, a target for increasing theft, defunding the police, taking away any sort of crime for theft, and then incentivizing this philosophy, which tells somebody that when they go into your store and steal your crap, they're not just engaging in theft, they're part of a larger justified movement, which is simply taking from the oppressors and redistributing it. You finance that crap, and now your solution is to make it harder for me to sell something on Facebook Marketplace? Because that's what they're doing right here. The failure of certain marketplaces to verify their sellers. So you go on eBay, you go on Craigslist, you go on Facebook Marketplace, and you want to sell some stuff that you have, right? That's who they want to target. Now, I'm not saying that people can't use these outlets for something that's inappropriate or wrong, but, the, but the, you would see 30 people rush into your store, steal a bunch of stuff and leave, and you would come to the conclusion that, you know what the real problem here is? Facebook Marketplace. 
Yeah. Etsy. Etsy's the real problem here. No, the real problem here is you helped create a mess. And now you don't have the courage to even stand up when it's directly affecting you and call out where the mess was really created. It was created by people that were not looking for criminal justice reform. They weren't looking for justice. They were looking for soft on crime policies to push a political narrative which gave more power to certain people. And you backed it. So to be quite frankly, I don't feel bad for a single one of these CEOs. I don't feel bad for a single one of their boards. You know who I do feel bad for? I feel bad for their customers, which are going to continually pay higher prices, not to mention the fact, potentially get caught in the crosshairs of someone coming in to do a smash and grab and leaving in a hurry. I feel bad for stores in poor neighborhoods that can't afford the higher prices that retailers are going to put on their products in order to make for, up for and compensate for the higher prices that they have to charge now because of more theft. So that's who I feel bad for. I'm, but I'm sorry. All these CEOs that got right on board, right on board with all this woke garbage that led to these sorts of policies, that led to this sort of philosophy. I'm sorry, you should lose your jobs because you are directly responsible. I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. You, you are partial. I never, I never blame somebody who you know, was essentially the victim of theft. But when you have actively encouraged behavior and policies that, that have led to that theft, yeah, I'm sorry, maybe you need to be replaced with somebody that's a little bit more focused on doing their job instead of playing up to their Twitter audience. So how do we address this as conservatives? Because I'm going to tell you right now, there is a conservative argument here that is compelling, but foundationally, fundamentally, it is missing something significant. And if we don't get it right, we're actually going to be worse off than we currently are. You heard that correctly. I'm not criticizing the left-wing argument. There is actually a conservative argument that is being made right now that will actually play right into the hands of what the left is trying to push and which will ultimately make us worse off. Here's what that argument is. Here's the conservative argument. They see this and they respond to one of two things. They either say, you know what? Screw those CEOs. They made that decision. Let them deal with it. That's one side of it. The other side of it is to say that we can totally chalk everything up that we're seeing to the denigration of police and soft on crime policies. And so what they're going to offer as the solution is to say that what we, just, what we need to solve the problem is more police, better district attorneys, hardcore judges, more jails. That's, that's going to be the, the, the idea behind this. Like You want to solve this problem, that's what you do. Here is the problem with that. It is not that there is no truth to that argument, because there actually is a lot of truth. There's a lot of merit to the argument that, yes, if you want to reduce crime, you need to have more people that are actually there to help stop the crime when it's taking place or to punish the people that are engaging in crime so hopefully they don't do it again or you protect innocent people in the process. Those are all fine arguments. The problem that I have with it is that it is incomplete. Because you can get more police tomorrow. You can get more police tomorrow. Hire more police. Up their pay. Give them more resources. Hire police. You can build more jails. You can do that. But as long as you have a society which is encouraging people, to include young people, to believe and buy into this narrative that families don't really matter, the state can take care of you. 
And when you engage in this sort of behavior, that's not theft. It's not burglary. That's simply you engaging in a quest for social justice. You are taking from the oppressors and you are redistributing to the oppressed. This is no longer an argument that is being made. The traditional argument was you have a kid in a bad situation, they don't have many opportunities, and so they resort to this sort of behavior, either because of influences that they had within their community or because of lack of positive influences or a lack of opportunities. And so they engage in that, and the answer, the, 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 the argument used to be one of mercy. It was we need to have mercy and compassion for people that are in difficult situations that maybe fall into the wrong crowd and make a mistake. And you see, that was a compelling argument. I would argue it's still a compelling argument. But the solution that they offered for it was to essentially say, we need to put all the burden on society. It's no longer a question of personal responsibility. It's a question of society. Society is at fault for creating these conditions. Now the argument is actually a little bit different. Now the argument is to say that, no, 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 it's not just that they're in a bad situation. It's not just that it's society's fault. It's to actually create a narrative where people have an obligation to engage in this sort of behavior in order to fight injustice. I will tell you right now, if that narrative continues to play out within our universities, within our school systems, within popular culture, in the music that we listen to, in the shows that we watch, you can pass as many tough on crimes laws as you want. You can staff our cities with as many police as you can get into uniform. But that sort of philosophy is actually going to create more of the problem no matter how much you lock it up. So as conservatives, when we look at this, we need to be very, very careful of something. One, we need to recognize that yes, there are flaws within our criminal justice system and there are things that we can do better. And some of those things will include more funding for police. Some of those things will include more funding for mental health that can assist the police in certain situations in order to de-escalate. Some of those things will include prison reform. But one of the biggest problems that we're seeing right now is rooted in a complete breakdown of certain principles which has guided the way that the vast majority of Americans think about society and our neighbor for the last 200 plus years. The idea that someone's property is sacred in the sense that they worked for it, they earned it, and it's theirs. And when you steal it from them, you are hurting another person. You're not just taking property that insurance will cover. You're creating perverse incentives. You're creating a dangerous environment, not just for the retailer, for the customers, for the people that invest. And that there's something not only wrong about that in a practical economic sense, but there's something wrong about that on a moral level. But if you're going to replace that with this notion now, that somebody can stand up and say, if you have more, or if you're this skin color, or if you're this gender, or if you vote this way, or if you worship this way, I can steal from you because you're part of an oppressor class. And the motivation for doing so is not greed. The motivation for doing so is justice. We have a real problem on our hands. And so the argument, when we look at criminal justice, whether it's from a reform perspective, whether it's from supporting law enforcement, 
whether it's for the ultimate goal, which should be about achieving better outcomes for everybody, we're going to have to start with the fundamentals. Because if we're just, if we're just changing the law here and there, or if we're just allocating funds a little bit differently, if when Democrats are in office, it's all about you know, denigrating the police and letting people out of jail and crazy parole boards, and then when Republicans are in office, it's nothing but more prisons and more police, we're going to miss the fundamental thing that is causing the problem in the first place. And that is a complete breakdown of certain cultural understandings, certain moral premises which have guided our interaction with other people. And quite frankly, if you're going to continue to see powerful retailers and businesses jump on with this philosophy, then they should not be surprised when they end up being a target of the very movement that they fostered. So, from the conservative perspective, this is real simple. We should both honor the people that bravely and honorably serve as police officers. We should hold to a very high standard with very high degrees of accountability, those people that have that sort of public trust. We should remember that within our criminal justice system, there are two goals that we're trying, two main goals that we are trying to receive. One is the protection of society in general, while at the same time taking care of victims. And the other is trying to rectify behavior in such a way that we don't have a high recidivism rate. And when someone breaks the law, they're able to safely reintegrate with society after they have paid their debt to their victim. Those are two goals that we need to achieve. And there are areas where we should be able to work together in order to achieve that. But I go back to what I said at the beginning here. If we're not willing to address this perverse philosophy which is infecting our schools and our pop culture, which is based off of prejudice and bigotry, based off of a number of items, from your economic status, to your skin color, to your gender, if we're not willing to address the problems with an entire movement suggesting that they can judge a person or a business or a group of people based off of those attributes, if we're not willing to address that, again, hire all the police you want, make all the prisons you want, you're not going to make society better. We have got to get back to the idea where we see every human being as uniquely worthy, as entitled to certain inalienable rights, and that our job, not just with respect to who we elect, or who wears a uniform or not, but our job as a society at large is to recommit ourselves to the idea that we are going to protect another person's liberty, another person's property, and we are not going to tolerate those who would seek to divide us along racial or gender lines, and we're not going to tolerate people that will resort to theft, violence, burglary, assault, in order to achieve their political objectives. Thank you for watching. I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument, and we'll see you next episode.
once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to GoodRanchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.